which are on the phone. Morning, everyone. I'm Kevin Beckman and Stuart Starr. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And uh, yeah, I'll add my welcome to everyone else who stood up <laughs> so far. Great to have you with us. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask that God would prepare our hearts uh, for hearing his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word preserved uh, over many thousands of years. Uh, we pray, Father, that this morning as we open it up, you may open the ears of our hearts, Father, that your spirit may convict us. Uh, that you might challenge and change us so that we might live in ways that are pleasing to you. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as Matthew's already alluded to, we're actually in the uh, the last week of our uh, series uh, in the book we've been doing in Exodus. I'll, I want to jump straight in this morning and have a look uh, with you. If you've got it open, I think it was page 89. We're in Exodus 33 and I'm at verse 3. And uh, it says this, Go up to the land... Flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. But I will not go with you. This is what God is saying to Moses. And it would be right to ask at this point, what on earth has happened? What on earth has happened? Why is it that God has just said to Moses, I am not going with you? Uh, That should be, for those of us who have been on this journey through the book of Exodus, quite striking. And the reason it should be so striking is because, as we reflect back, God's been at great pains to do something to bring himself close to the people of Israel. We started off this series with a concept that Matthew hopefully introduced to us called the God Box. And uh, the idea of the God Box is that each of us has, probably not a physical box, but a place in our hearts where we're figuring out who the living God is. And we're putting together ideas about who he is and what he looks like and how he interacts. And so God is filling up the God box of his people through the book of Exodus. So if you look up here, we can see uh, we start with a group of people who are in slavery in Egypt. That's the Israelites. Uh, God appears to Moses in a burning bush and tells him, I want you to set my people free. Fantastic. That brings him in contact with uh, Pharaoh, who is uh, God's great enemy in the book of Exodus, who strongly resists having the people brought out. Uh, God then sends nine plagues uh, of varying sorts to kind of twist Pharaoh's arm and bring himself glory in the process. Eventually, Pharaoh's resistance gets right to the end and God does a tenth plague, which is called the Passover, uh, where he spares his own people by sacrifice. They paint blood on the door frames of their houses and because a sacrifice has died in place of their firstborn, God passes over them but judges the people of Israel. So the people leave, which is a wonderful thing. It's the model for redemption in the Old Testament. They leave, they get saved, they go out of Egypt. And then Pharaoh changes his mind, which we saw him do a lot, and he sends the, uh, the chariots out after them. Uh, again, when it looks like all hope is lost, God intervenes and radically saves his people through the Red Sea. They then get out into the desert on the other side, and they think, well, God's done us in. But no, again, God's grace triumphs, and he provides food for them, bread from heaven and birds from the sky and water from a rock. They have bread and water and meat. 
It's amazing. God provides for his people. And then once he's got them to Mount Sinai, he gives them his Ten Commandments and says, guys, I'm going to make a covenant with me. You will be my special people and here's how you're to live with me. Brilliant. What a fantastic setup. What an amazing God we have. And so we get to uh, the stuff that Matthew worked through last week, uh, that God has given them a blueprint for a tent of meeting. God's basically said, people, I'm going to tell you how to set up the way to engage with me. And Matthew did a fantastic job of showing us that last week. The idea of the tent of meeting was that God, very graciously, would come and live in the middle of his people. God would live in the middle of his people. But he couldn't be approached willy-nilly. You had to approach carefully through the priest by sacrifices in this tent. But God himself would live in the middle of his people. Now that all sounds brilliant. And if that's all that there was in the book of Exodus, we would have a wonderful tent, we would have God's people saved, and we would go, brilliant, let's go to the promised land. But it wasn't what happened. After Moses came down from the mountain, this is what happened. He found the people of God turned away and made for themselves a golden calf, an idol in place of the living God. Now that was a terrible tragedy. Not only had they been unfaithful to the covenant day one, but they had turned their way, turned their hearts away from the living God. And uh, there was tra- tragic consequences of that. And I think everyone who heard that read aloud in church, those of you who were there for the reading of that chapter, uh, where they go through and part of the rebellious nation are killed by the priests. A terrible, terrible chapter. We see God's judgment on sin is horrendous. That's chapter 32. What was read for us this morning is chapter 33. And so what we find, if we go back to the, uh, back to the passage, is this. Have a look with me from, uh, from verse 1 uh, of... Uh, of um, uh, chapter 33, oh sorry, verse 3 of chapter 33. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Now if you read that this morning with no context, you just go, wow, God's really stroppy. He's, a, he's, an, he's just an angry God. But we've been seeing over the last nine weeks how wonderfully gracious and patient and loving God is. And at the very high point of God's collecting his people together and making them precious, they turned aside and created their own God. And so all God's saying is, yeah, you can go up, go up to the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you because it would be dangerous for me to travel with you. I might just kill you. Now that's pretty confronting stuff, isn't it? It means that we can't take God lightly. And I know that's a uh, M1A1 tank there. The idea is it's supposed to be intimidating. The idea is it's supposed to be an awesome, fearful, in some ways, thing to come and approach the living God. And so God says, I'm not going with you. So how did they keep talking to God? God said, I'm not going with you. And yet this chapter, chapter 33, says they are still talking to God. So, so how did he do it? What, what happened? Have a look at verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. 
Now remember that the, the blueprint for the tabernacle, sorry, special word for tent, the tabernacle, that blueprint, that was to be called the tent of meeting. And now Moses is pitching a teepee, metaphorically. You, you know what a teepee is, don't you? Yeah. He's, he's pitching a teepee outside the camp and he's calling it the tent of meeting. What, what's the point? I think this is the point. They didn't have phone boxes back then, so bear with me. But here's the point, right? There's a special location that you can go to talk to God. And it's worth noting, it's outside the camp. It's not in the middle anymore, because God can't dwell in the midst of his people, because they're sinful. So it's outside the camp, and so there's distance between the centre of the camp and where this tent is. And the distance is a tragedy. We're supposed to weep over this idea that the tent is outside the camp. We're supposed to think it's terrible that this little teepee is now the tent of meeting instead of this wonderful tent that God had told his people about. But at this place, at this place, there will be wonderfully the Lord. Have a look at verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So what's the idea? In this little phone booth uh, outside the camp, there is intimacy. There is the chance to encounter the living God and there is favour for Moses. God loves Moses and so he will meet with him. And notice, anyone who travels outside the camp to talk to God. I think that's wonderful. It would have been public. Yeah, You'd have to go... I'm going out of my tent and everyone would see me walking to the tent of meeting. So it would have been a very public thing to do. But Israelites who had a heart could meet with the living God still. He's he's a wonderful God. But it's a tragedy that this tent is outside. Now incidentally here, we're going to find some interesting things. I just want to tell you about face-to-face here. God would speak with him personally, up close and personal. It actually says that the cloud would come down to the entrance to the tent of meeting. So when it says God spoke to him face to face, it means he spoke to him personally. I think it's almost like making a phone call. There was a real presence at the other end of the line, but it wasn't actually like I'm looking at Mandy right now. It was a phone call through the cloud. Okay, There was a distance. There wasn't actually the face of God in the cloud. God came down in the cloud and they spoke with one another personally is what it means. And I'll show you why that's the case a little bit later. Well, it's a long weekend, which we would never have guessed by looking around our church, would we? No, no, no. Good. Uh, I want to ask you, when you go away, so first, first question, who packs the car in your house when, uh, when you go away? Can I show of hands? Okay, yes, very good. Okay, hands down. Um, does, no, that do the, people, do the people who pack the car like doing it? I, I quite like the process. I like trying to make sure everything kind of goes... No, Kara? Oh, I hear... No, I just want to hear a word of testimony from the back. Um, my beautiful wife does pack all the bags before I pack them in the car. Well, love you, beautiful. Um, what, are the things, what are the things that we can't leave behind when we go on holidays? Tell me, what's some things we can't leave behind? Undies. I like it, sorry. The porticot, okay, that's very good. What can't you leave behind? Money. Money, yes, very good. Guitar, thank you, Matthew, sorry. 
I pause, okay. Now, eventually, when everybody brings their, we can't leave this behind, I think this is roughly what it looks like. <laughs> this is by far my favourite overburdened truck I've ever seen. It is just epically awesome. Um, I'd love to count how many human beings are on that truck, and I love that all their belongings are tied on as well. Anyway, the point being, everybody has decided that whatever they have with them, they can't possibly leave behind. Now, that's fun. Drive, drive back into Exodus, and I want you to hear what Moses says he can't leave behind if he's going on a journey. Have a look with me. Oh, we're reading verses 12 and, uh, and 13 here. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and I've found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember, this nation is your people. For Moses, what's the one thing he can't go on a journey without? The presence of God. God, don't send me unless you tell me who will go with me. I can't bear to go without you. And look at his passion. I I love Moses. He's just so awesome. Have a look what he says there. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Now, that might be 3,000 years ago, but I promise you that can be the prayer of the Christian. Yeah? I want to know you, God. I want to find favour with you. I want you to go with me. I think it's a beautiful prayer. I love his passion. And so Moses is saying, I can't leave home without you. Without you, God. And and God is so gracious with Moses. I love this. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now I can remember thinking we did it in our life group this week. We read it and everyone goes, hang on, hang on. Why rest? I I think at some level, Moses has been being their leader and it's been a terrible job. And God's saying, look, look, eventually, mate, I'll I'll give you some rest. But it's more than that. It's much more. Have a look at these words from Jesus in the New Testament. If you want to play Flip the Bible, that'd be great. Uh, We're going to go to Matthew chapter 11. Um, If someone finds the page first, call it out. Matthew chapter 11. Oh, thank you. 976. Matthew chapter 11. And I want to read to you verses 27 to 30. I want you to hear Jesus, Jesus speaking. And I want you to hear what it might mean. Why would he say, I'll reveal my presence to you and I'll give you rest. All these things have been committed to me by my Father, Jesus says in verse 27. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now that's important. You'll know God's presence through Jesus. But he says this, 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus calls to us and says, come follow me. You will find my presence and you'll find my rest. Know the rest of God in Jesus. There's a reality in which it's know the completeness of God in Jesus. And know the rest of God in Jesus. But Moses didn't know Jesus. So what what did God do for him? 
We know Jesus. We have the opportunity to know him. What, what did God do for Moses? Uh, have a look at uh, 33. Back, I hope you kept your finger in. Uh, Exodus 33, uh, 17 to 18. And this is God. Listen to the way he interacts with Moses. He just goes backwards and forwards with him. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. How wonderful. The living God, the God of all these incredible wonders, knows this man by name. I know you. You've found favour with me. Now Moses is bold. Look what he says next. Then Moses said, now, show me your glory. I would have thought having the living God talk to you and say that you're approved would have been pretty good. You go, right, I'm all done. Thanks God, I'm ready to go up to the promised land. That's all I need. But Moses is so needing God. He says, God, show me your glory. Reveal to me your wonder. Now, I just want to remind you, do you you remember we did this? Have we seen some of of God's glory before? I'm going to cut to the chase and tell you, yes. Yes, we have. We've seen an extraordinary amount of God's glory. In fact, God's glory specifically appears to them in the desert, in the cloud. It's been there all the time. And yet Moses is bold enough to say, show me your glory. So it all goes into the God box there, you see. He's got all that in his God box. So what more could God do? How could he answer this question? I mean, if I've seen the sea open and the people walk through on dry land and then close back over my enemies, I'd say we're done with glory. If I saw fire on the mountain and heard the living God speak the Ten Commandments to me, I'd say we're done with glory. What more could God do in answer to Moses' question? Show me your glory. Well, let's have a look at what he would do. Verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So what's God going to do? He's going to announce his name. Now remember, when we see the Lord in capitals up there, L-O-R-D, like that, can anyone remember? What's the name that he's going to proclaim? Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, if you've never heard this before, that's probably a little bit unusual. But the way the Hebrew is, God has said, I will tell you my name. And the English translation is translated as the Lord. We could read in the Hebrew, Yahweh. That sounds weird, particularly if you've never heard it before. But that's his name. I will proclaim my name, he says. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock, it says in verse 22, and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now, it's worth saying at this point, God's glory, him revealing himself is so awesome that even Moses would die if God wasn't graciously covering him over. This is with our brain, doesn't it? That's just extraordinary. And so God takes the initiative to care for Moses. What am I going to do, Moses? Cover over you. I'm going to cover you until my glory's gone by. Now, uh, I think it's pretty extraordinary. Uh, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is what happened in life group this week. This is what happened in life group this week. This is Rob, 
He's a dentist. We can't show you his face on TV. Do you remember this? Okay, now this is what happened in a life group. We said, we can only see the back of God. That's very strange. We can't show God's face on TV. Why is that? Uh, it's because God's holy and awesome and mighty. And if he was to behold his face, it said before, if you see my face, you will die. So it's not just preserving God for TV. It's preserving Moses' life. Because the awesome glory and majesty of God cannot be seen. By a mortal enemy. I did find the photo. Okay, so what, what's happening here? The living God wants to announce his name to Moses. And when it says he'll, there's a rock, and I'll make a hole in the rock, it's actually the rock. And the rock is Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, I'm going to take you up there, and you're going to meet with me, and I'm going to make a place for you. And so this is where we are. We're here on Mount Sinai. And I just wanted to show you because it was cool. And the book of Exodus is about to finish, and I've forgotten to do it every other sermon, so I just want to show you. Um, a mate of mine went to uh, Mount Sinai, and he brought me back a rock from Mount Sinai. And it's been in my Bible for years and years and years, and I just wanted to show you. There's a piece of Mount Sinai. Why is it important that he meets with him there? Because that's where God has been dealing with his people. And in this rock, not that rock particularly, God will make a space to keep Moses safe in the presence of his glory. It's, it's truly awesome how gracious God is. So, have a look at the, uh, chapter 34, verses five, uh, 4 and 5. God, God told Moses, basically what we're going to do, we're going to go up the mountain, I'm going to reveal my glory, and guess what? We're going to start afresh. I'm going to start again with you guys. Now, remember what happened to the first two sets of Ten Commandments? Smashed them. Incidentally, it says here, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went out to Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Just a little side point. I've always thought that it was five Ten Commandments and five Ten Commandments. Everyone thought the same thing? Maybe, maybe not. Here's the thing. It's probably Israel's copy, God's copy of the covenant between them. It's two parts to the one contract. And we've got God's copy and our copy, and that's why it's two stones. Interesting? I didn't know that before. I thought that was really helpful, so I'll let you know. Um, now, notice what happened. We could, be, we could be forgiven for thinking God is a giant person from what we've read. Would that be right? God's a giant person. Yeah? And... You know, we can all do our sci-fi kind of thing. You know, there's a big, huge God walking by and there's a hand over. Now, I think that's all language that's um, it's helpful for us to think about. But notice what it actually says here happened. Can you see the highlighted bit up here on the screen? Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. Well, I just want to suggest to you, maybe Moses didn't see a giant figure. It's really interesting, isn't it? But God came down in the presence of a cloud. He was truly present there. But maybe wasn't a huge giant. But God was present and carefully protected Moses. Metaphorically, God put a hand over the rock. Does God have a hand? Uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. What do we mean by that? You know, the song's good. 
He's got the whole world in his head. You know that? Yeah. Uh, do we literally mean that if we zoom out, you know, going around a geostationary orbit, we'll see God's hands under the earth? Sorry? No. Mandy wants to check it out. Um, <laughs> it doesn't mean that, does it? What does it mean? It means that God is caring for, protecting, sustaining this world. There's a truth there. And we're right to say that he's got the whole world in his hands, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God's hands are under the world. So when it says here God put a hand over the rock, I think God covered Moses over so he didn't see his glory. And he came down in a cloud. He was truly present there. And what was his job? His job wasn't to show him a giant form. His job was to do what? Proclaim his name. So let's have a look at his name because it's awesome. Have a look. You really will actually have to open up and have a look at these verses because I reckon a whole bunch of the rest of the Old Testament ties everything back to this revelation of who God is. These words will define how Israel thinks about their God from here on. This moment is so precious. So have a look at the words it said. And he he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, my name, the most precious part about who I am, I announce my name to you. But what does it mean for me to be the Lord, the Lord? The compassionate. The gracious God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Well, that's what it says. What does it mean? Well, first of all, our God is compassionate. That's the first thing he says. Are you angry with God? Do you find God infuriating? There are always be times when our hearts are broken by God, when we rage in anger against God. Have a look at the first word he uses to reveal his name. The compassionate. I think that's extraordinary. Gee, I find that encouraging. Who is my God? As he chooses to reveal his character to Moses, he says, first, the compassionate. Second, the gracious God. He gives gifts. He is generous without expecting response. He is gracious. Remember we said before he was stroppy? I'm not going to go with you guys. Was he unreasonably stroppy? No, he's slow to anger. Gee, that's wonderful. Gee, that's wonderful. But if he builds a full head of steam in that boiler, if he gets genuinely angry, it won't be unjust. And he will follow through. But he is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. Oh, gracious. How wonderful is that? Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. It's apparently about two billion at the moment. That's the number of people who call Jesus Lord apparently in the the world. That's a big number. Maintaining love to billions. And forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Wow! The sermon is finished. Who is the living God? The one who forgives wickedness, sin and rebellion. I want that God. Because I can't approach him otherwise. And then we get this next bit. 
Does that make all of you going to go, oh, God, I wish you'd stop speaking? Can I just explain it for a second? Because it, it, it did that to me. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Well, that's good, right? So focus so good? He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished? We want the guilty to be punished, don't we? Except it includes me, but, but okay. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. What we hear, at least you may, what we hear is kids get unjustly punished for their father's sins. Is that what you hear? Here's what it says. If you, kids, keep doing the sins of your parents, I will punish you for those sins. It won't be that I punish your parents and it's done. The sins of your parents is the types of sins your parents do. I will punish the sins of your parents to the third and fourth generation is saying, those people who continue in rebellion, I will mete out punishment to every generation of the rebellious. Not just that once somebody sinned, everybody gets punished. But if you keep doing the sins that are the same sins as your parents, your parents' sins then I will punish that generation and that generation and that generation and that generation. If you keep sinning, I'll keep punishing you. It's the sins of the fathers, not the father's sins. Are you kind of getting... Some of you are going to just... That's going to keep you up at night. But the, the idea is, it's not that I'm punishing you unmercifully or unjustly. If you are doing the same sins as your parents, I will punish you. What's the point? What's the point if you say that at the end of how gracious God is? What's the idea? Come on, tell me. Don't do it. Don't do it. I will forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. I'll punish punish sin. So just don't do it. Get with the program. Be the people who are on the team who are saying, we're with you, God. Forgive us. Have mercy on us. And so this is the name that was revealed to Moses. What was Moses' response? Good God, I've got that down. Just going to nick off home now. Thanks very much. It wasn't. Have a look. It's so beautiful. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Why do you bow? Incidentally, why do you bow to the ground to worship? Yep. I have to be humble when I'm like this. There's no pride left when you're on your knees, is there? You're vulnerable. You are showing that you have no pride. You're honouring the one who's before you. So what did Moses do? Straighten his face, bowing before the Lord. Lord, if I found favour in your eyes, isn't he persistent? Lord, if I found favour in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although, notice how wonderfully he uses God's name. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin. That's exactly what God said he'd do in his name, forgiving wickedness and sin. So God, because you said that's who you are, can you forgive our wickedness and sin? And take us as your inheritance. Make us precious to you, God, again. Do do you get it? So basically he goes, God, I've been listening. I'm worshipping you and be who you are towards us. Wonderful. Then the Lord said, this is the Lord's response. God is so gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. You get the idea. Have a listen to what he says. In, uh, in verses 10 and 11. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. This is really interesting. I'm not making a new covenant, although he is. We're starting again. I'm making a covenant with you. 
Before all the people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. Does that sound like he's making them precious? The people you live among will see how awesome the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I've commanded you today. I will drive out the assorted people who live in the land. So God hears his prayer and says, yes, you will be precious. I will go with you. Go and take the land and I'll do all the hard work. Good praying, Moses. Nice work, mate. What does it mean for them to be signed up to the covenant? I said this to you last time. Here's my Bible timeline. It goes from creation there all the way through sin, Egypt, the Ten Commandments, wandering in the desert, all that way through to the New Testament with Jesus, his, uh, his resurrection, his return in judgment, and then the new creation. That's our big overview. What it means to sign up to the covenant here is that from this time forward, everything in Israel's history will be judged by this covenant. You are signed up, kids. God said he was going to do wonderful things. You obey. Make sense? This is your God. Now obey. That's what the covenant's about. Then the Lord said to uh, Moses, uh, verse uh, 27. We didn't read this far. Uh, Write down these words. For in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When the Lord came down, uh, when Moses came down from Mount, uh, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Wom, 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 wom. He doesn't know it. You're looking bright today, you're looking sunny today, Moses. No, 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 no. I've encountered the living God, but he didn't know it. But he had been physically impacted by the glory of God that he revealed. By the back of God, he was glowing with glory. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because he'd encountered the living God. Now, we could explore that at some length. We're not going to. I want to say, what does that sound like? What does it sound like if we jump to the New Testament? Have a look at this. This is in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus, you've heard of him, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain. High mountain. Sound like something? Very good. Outside, very good. Uh, Where they were were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Who turns up on the mountain? Elijah, okay, cool, he's a major prophet in the Old Testament. Who else is up there? Moses, Mr. Glory Man on a mountain. That's pretty fantastic. Where's the shining coming from? Jesus, he's the glorious one on the mountain. I think this is awesome and we could mine it for even more exciting and amazing things. Then a cloud appeared. A cloud? Do you know what I mean? When you're reading the New Testament and you don't know Exodus, you're just going, oh, yeah, it got cloudy. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> what, what do we know now? What do we know now? We know that's the presence of the living God. That's the cloud in the desert. Here it is on the mountain. A cloud comes and it covered them and a voice from the cloud spoke. This is my son. Listen to him. Boom. How 
How big is that? How awesome is that? The voice from the cloud says, this is mine. Listen to him. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's extraordinary. This is so obvious. Jesus is God revealed. You want to meet the God of the cloud, the God who changes Moses' face to be radiant. You want to know what he's like? How do we find out more than just his name? He comes in person in the form of Jesus, his son. Isn't that exciting? The person of his son visits the earth. There's this one little last bit I want to finish off with. It's, it's pretty cool. It's from uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, and uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's using the idea of what we've been reading about today. And he's talking to the Christian church, the church in Corinth. And uh, he says these things, uh, which I think will be a great place for us to land today. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm reading verses 13 and 14. Yeah, I think I am anyway. Oh, yes, chapter 3. Very good. I was looking at chapter 2 and going, ooh, I'm sadly astray here. Here we go. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. So he's saying the Christian church is not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. In other words, as time went on, Moses' face got less glorious and the people kind of watched it and were really interested in what was going on. And so Moses eventually just covered his face and said, you don't get to watch this. We're not like that. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. What he's saying here is Jewish people have a cover over their heart. They can't understand at, at this point what it was all about. It, has, it had not been removed Because only in Christ is it taken away. Now this is glorious. What it's saying is, we aren't like that. We aren't people who have our hearts covered with a veil. We understand what Moses saw in part. We understand what Moses saw in part. Here's our revelation. Ready? Everyone look at the screen. It's very exciting. Ah, isn't that cool? Okay, very good. Okay, very good. Uh, And then verse, uh, verse 18 is where I want us to land. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We have unveiled faces. We behold the glory of God. How does that happen? Through the Spirit. Here's this lady. Uh, Here's what happened in the Old Testament. The, The presence of God was away from the people. This person here wants to find intimacy with God and favour with God. How will it happen for us? How we find intimacy and favour with God? Well, here's what happens. The distance is taken away. God will take up residence, not in a tent in the middle of our city. Do you know where he says he'll dwell? In our hearts, by faith, by his Holy Spirit. Praise God. Is God distant? Is he a long way away? Is he... How will we have intimacy with God when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, when the veil is removed and we understand who Jesus is and what he's done? Isn't that exciting? Forget going out to the phone booth to make a call to God. God lives in the hearts of those of you who've called him Lord. Praise God. Isn't that a wonderful revelation? I'm blown away. So what are we doing here, church? If you've heard who Jesus is, if you've trusted in him, then as we've been working through these series in Exodus, I hope that you've had a chance to meet God. Maybe you've filled up your God box with some stuff that wasn't in there before. 
What's my encouragement to you? Keep seeking his ways. Do you remember that beautiful prayer of Moses? Teach me your ways that I may find favour with you. Can I say to you, church, keep seeking God. Seek his ways. Find the God who is there. Build on this this foundation that's been laid in the book of Exodus. Keep seeking after God. Secondly, if you're here this morning and you don't know the living God, the wonderful opportunity we have is to meet with him. He's real. He exists. And he longs to have the veil drawn back that you might understand for the first time that he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. I would love for you to meet that living God and have that veil removed. Let's pray that it's so this morning. Ah, Heavenly Father, it's a glorious, glorious truth that you met a rebellious and sinful people that your servant Moses was able to stand up and plead for your mercy and that you granted it. Father, I thank you for the way you showed your name to him. I pray that we would believe you as gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding with love and covenant faithfulness. Father, help us to hold that so deep in the trials of this past week, in the things that lie before us. Help us to have a rock of assurance and confidence that you truly are this God. And Father, for those of us who are yet to know, who don't have your Holy Spirit dwelling in their hearts, I pray you be merciful. Father, help each one here who doesn't know you to seek you and find you, that they might know your rest. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Ian to come up. One of, the, uh, one of the great things we get to do together uh, when we meet is to say things 